0: Okay, so we are literally going to jump straight into this story. Um, So Brandon went to Minnesota West and his classes had ended for the academic year on May 13th, 2008. Now, Brandon stayed in a place called Canby for the evening to celebrate the end of the school year with all of his friends, as you do. And he'd actually gone to two separate parties um, with lots of different people lots of students he was having a good time and lots of other people said that he had been seen drinking and his friends said that he had but he his friends said that he wasn't drunk like it wasn't enough to make him seem visibly drunk or intoxicated so he wasn't completely out his head he was just maybe happy as I like to say. We don't know how much exactly he drank and it will make a bit more sense as we go on, but just keep this in mind, he didn't seem like he was really drunk and, you know, I I know it affects people in different ways, but anyway, so when it got to about midnight, Brandon left Camby and left the parties and started the 30 mile drive home, which, again don't think was the best idea, you know, never drink and drive, never, but he decided to take that risk and he, yeah, started this 30 mile drive home. So just before 2am, he called up his parents on his phone and told them that he'd actually driven his car off the road and into a ditch. He said that his car was stuck and he couldn't get it out, but he wasn't hurt and he was basically just asking them if they could come and pick him up, which isn't you know if I was a parent and I got that call at 2am god I would be freaking out but he was okay he wasn't injured there was nothing wrong with him he was just stuck so his parents Annette and Brian rolled out of bed and into their pickup truck to drive out to where they thought he was they actually kept him on the phone even though the signal would sometimes drop or hang up they wanted to make sure that they kept that contact And Brandon said that he stayed in his car waiting for his parents to come and save him basically so he stayed put but it got to the point where they thought they were close to each other so Brandon started flashing his lights trying to signal to them but they couldn't see anything and his parents tried doing the same and he couldn't see them either. So at this point, Brandon was getting frustrated and told them that he was going to leave the car and start walking towards some lights that he could see in the distance. And he was into the belief that them lights were near a place called Lind, which is a small town roughly about seven miles southwest of Marshall. And I know all these names and directions are confusing, you can actually Google a map of this and actually pinpoint where these places are. And it may, it does make a lot more sense. Um, so he thought that that town was roughly about seven miles away and he told his parents that he would start to walk and meet them in a parking lot of a local bar and just wait for him there. So that's what the plan was from there and his dad agreed and started driving. Um, They kept on the phone with Brandon and hopefully they would be reunited soon, however life as they knew it was about to change forever. 47 minutes into this call, Brandon suddenly interrupted himself by saying, oh shit, and then he was just silent for the remainder of the call. His parents called down the phone for him until eventually hanging up and trying to phone him back multiple times but unfortunately to no luck and this would be the last time anybody heard Brandon. Brandon has not been seen or heard from since. By 6 30 a.m his parents had reported Brandon missing to the Lind police and at first they were told that you know it's not unusual for young men at that age to stay out all night especially after the last day of college classes and you know this shocked me a little bit and his mum specifically recalled that one of the officers said it was Brandon's quote right to be missing end quote i mean yes in some respects it might not be unusual for young people to stay out all night etc but with these circumstances, with his last words, with how it's all unraveled, you would hope that the police would take it a bit more seriously. Um, you know, they, he clearly was trying to get home. He was clearly trying to get his parents to f- help find him. It's not like there'd been no contact. He'd been at this party all night, you know. They knew that <clears throat> he was trying to get home. Thankfully, though, that morning, the police did start a search, but there was no trace of Brandon found in the town or outside of that area. And this is when they requested that the office of Lyon County Sheriff Joel Dahl assist them. So, to get a better understanding of what happened to Brandon and where... The Sheriff's Office got hold of his cell phone records which revealed that he had been calling from the vicinity of Taunton along the State Highway 68 which is the main route to Canby northwest of Marshall and that's about 25 miles from Lynde, not seven like Brandon had thought. So with this information they started searching in this area and this is when deputies discovered their first piece of evidence. There in a ditch off the gravel road was Brandon's abandoned car just along the Lincoln County line a mile north of highway 68 and this new discovery brought the office of that county sheriff Jack Vizeski into the investigation. Now he told the media that the car had got like hung up on the top of an incline at the edge of the road but it wasn't enough to damage the car enough to keep the wheels from touching the ground on that side. So there was nothing else found with the car and due to the grass and the gravel in the area surrounding it there were no tracks therefore no way to tell what direction Brandon might have started walking. So at this point it seems like it's kind of one step forward two steps back however there has been some new information about his cell phone data. So his phone call had been routed through a tower at the intersection of county routes 3 and 10 near Minnesota which is another town along highway 68 and by May 15th the call had been determined to have come from within five miles of the tower so this is now where the searchers started to focus their efforts in trying to track down Brandon. Also just to note, since part of that radius included Yellow Medicine County to the north, the authorities from that jurisdiction also took part in the search for Brandon. So Dahl noted from this area um, that he could see a red light in the distance and it was kind of on top of a Taunton grain elevator. Not quite sure what that is. Um, So he thought that it could be possible that this red light Brandon had seen had kind of led him to believe that Lind was within walking distance. So whilst the ground searches were still being thoroughly carried out, there was a flyover um, also done by an aerial team along with search dogs brought in from the Twin Cities. So these search dogs were a team of bloodhounds, amazing dogs, and they managed to pick up a three-mile scent trail that largely followed the field roads kind of west slash northwest um, to an abandoned farm and then along the Yellow Medicine River to a point where it appeared to enter the stream. Now this seems possible because Brandon's father did recall him mentioning passing fences and kind of hearing nearby water whilst he was still on the phone with him and this is uh, and this did lead to the first theory about what happened to Brandon and that would be that he might have possibly drowned, possibly falling into the river and not realizing that it was there. So following this new lead boats from the State Department of Natural Resources were deployed along the river and there were gates installed and in some areas in Lincoln County the water had been 10 feet deep of the morning of the disappearance but had gone down since then. The deputies also walked the riverbanks along with horses and kind of special terrain vehicles in the surrounding areas But Dahl eventually ruled out a more organised and extensive ground search. So after this original search found no signs really of Brandon, most of the efforts were unfortunately called off. But Sheriff Vizeski, on the other hand, continued to walk the two miles of the Yellow Medicine River in that area every day for 30 days. He was determined And the Swansons, similarly, they left their porch light on all night, every night, as a symbol of their hope that Brandon would eventually return or be found. And this is something that they still do to this day. Later that autumn, searches did resume after fields planted shortly after the disappearance had finally been harvested. And the dogs on those searches continued to follow scents of human remains into an area northwest of Porter that had not been searched earlier and these efforts picked up again in the spring after the snow had melted but before planting. And this cycle carried on through 2011 and by that time there was 122 square miles that had been searched. And also in 2010, the Minnesota Bureau of Criminal Apprehension took over as lead agency on this case and they decided to set up a tip line and by 2015, there were 90 leads that had been reported that way. And by that point, when the official searches had resumed, the area of interest had moved towards Mud Creek, which is a kind of part of the yellow medicine north and northwest porter. Um, What's it called? A tributary? I didn't do very well in geography. Um, So anyway, going back to this drowning theory, despite the scent trail kind of leading into the water and despite his last words, which if you think about it, would kind of fit. Oh shit, Like I say that all the time if I fall. So if he'd fallen into a river by accident, A natural kind of expression could be. Oh shit. Um, But despite that, his mum doesn't think that he drowned there. And after following the scent into the water, this dog continued to the other side and along that riverbank to another gravel road where it continued north towards the Yellow Medicine County line and that is where it ended. His mother told CNN, quote, there really is nothing to indicate that he is in that river, end quote, which is strange. I mean, fair enough, one dog's gone into the river and not gone to the other side, but then the other one has. So what do we really go off? It's a really difficult one. But another point that got brought forward was from Brian, his dad, who recalled that Brandon didn't seem disorientated or confused during their phone call, despite the fact that he was reported to have been drinking. But that's very similar to what his friend said. His friend said exactly the same. He didn't seem like he was badly. Um. So, you know, some some people think he drowned, some people think he didn't but other people speculate that he could still be alive and maybe even intentionally disappeared but again his parents don't believe this and to be fair I don't think so either, it just doesn't seem likely. I mean like I said earlier he was trying to get home, he called his parents at two in the morning to come and get him honestly I think I would have cried if I if I ever had to do that luckily I didn't stay out that late I'm in bed for nine o'clock um but even like when I was younger like living with my parents I if I was calling them to go home it'd be like 11 I don't think I'd dream of doing that at two o'clock so he obviously had a good relationship with his parents to be doing something like that in the first place and he didn't seem to have any reason to leave his life behind And again, even if he was, why would he call his parents all the way out there? And it just doesn't seem likely, unless it was all some big elaborate plan. And if it is, then it's definitely worked. Um, But no, I don't think it's very likely. However, there is another way that this case could be looked at. And Viseki himself said that he couldn't rule out foul play. Even though there is no evidence of it whatsoever, he said that possibly somebody in the shadows could have been watching, kind of an opportunist killer or kidnapper, whatever, maybe following him and got him that way. And I really don't know. I'm very 50-50 between the accident with the river, possibly, there is somewhat, you know, not evidence, but the dog thing, or that someone took him, even though there isn't any evidence of that at all. And it just rattles my brain. And this is why I just... I do like unsolved kind of cases. Like, not not that I like them. But the kind of possibilities like we, we might not never know. Obviously, it's absolutely horrendous for the families and the people involved. Um, there's another case, uh, similarly. Uh, Brandon Lawson. This is Brandon Swanson. But Brandon Lawson is another case very, very similar to this. Um... And he called the police. He was in the middle of God knows. Um, and the nine one one call is actually on my TikTok. If you scroll down, I've got it up there. And it's crazy. Like, it seems like he's running to something that he shouldn't have. there's very faint gunshots in the back. Like, I think he stumbled on some sort of drug deal or something dodgy and he's never been seen since. Nobody knows where he is, nobody knows what happened. And it's very similar to this. Could somebody have t- could could this Brandon, could Brandon Swanson have stumbled across something that he shouldn't have? Is that why he said, oh shit, and you know, nothing was heard? Oh, just so many possibilities. So many possibilities. And after all of these searches, his mum Annette was still quite taken aback by the initial response from the police that her son had a right to be missing. So her and Brian began kind of lobbying for changes in state law that would require an investigation into the case of a missing adult as soon as it was reported. So she actually met with a minority leader named Marty who was a state house representative at the time whose district did include Marshall and they met in a local restaurant where the two talked about the problems that she had experienced and shortly after this he did introduce a bill called Brandon's law that would make the required change by amending the law governing the state's existing um missing child program to change the word child to person if that makes sense and he said that he recalled a lot of resistance at first from the state law enforcement community as it was a developed um as it was developed in committee sorry um And this resistance came from, you know, like privacy, like regarding phone calls, because at this point in time technology was only just kind of emerging, so there were a lot of conversations about when they could ping you, when they couldn't, but eventually it did pass and there was actually another one. Um, Dennis Frederiksen also introduced a companion bill in the same state senate and after it passed Both houses in May 2019, Governor Tim Paulent, oh God, Paulent, Paulentley, Tim, um, signed it into the law. I'm so sorry, I'll put it down below. (laughs) I really can't pronounce that. Uh, Put it into the law with Swansons in attendance at the ceremony. So this change. This required that the police, in addition to determining in their kind of preliminary investigation that, um, oh God, my words. This change required that police, in addition to determining in their preliminary investigation that the reported person is actually missing, they have to determine whether that person is potentially in a dangerous circumstance, as well as notifying other nearby law enforcement agencies quickly. That was a mouthful, sorry. Um, and Brandon's law also clarifies that the agency taking the report is the lead agency investigating the case. I think the absence of that distinction had created quite a lot of problems in the later phases of uh, Brandon's initial search, when, you know, there was three different counties involved. And the police were no longer allowed to refuse a report based on an initial belief that no criminal activity was involved. The brevity of the interval since that person was last seen and the possibility that the person may have intentionally disappeared or the lack of relationship between the missing person and the reporter... So following the governor's signature the law took effect at the beginning of July 2009 and since then four other states have passed similar laws and Marty said quote I consider it to be the most important bill I authored in my 14 years it will save lives end quote and that does conclude today's episode and you know although it-